You're listening to the podcast of Christ Walk Church in Fernandina Beach, Florida, where we exist to inspire people to follow Jesus every day. We hope that these messages encourage and challenge you to live for something more. If you'd like to know more about our church, you can find us online at thechristwalk.com. Thanks again for listening. Now here's today's message. Well, good morning, Christ Walk. How's everybody doing this morning? Awesome. It is so, so good to be with all of you for everyone that is joining us online here this morning. Thank you so much um, for tuning in. Uh, I'm excited about this morning. Um, Nearly five years ago, when uh, in just a few months, it'll be five years that I stepped into this pulpit as the lead pastor of Christ Walk Church for the very first time, I made a promise to everyone that was in the room that day. Some of you Um, that are here this morning, we're here on that day. I made a promise to you that I would never shy away from talking about difficult subjects. And today is one of those days. It also happens to be one of my very favorite topics. And so I'm excited to talk to you about this this morning. But for some people, this is a difficult subject area. And so I just want to start off But I'm not going to make apologies for talking about this, but I am just going to let you know um, what's coming and invite you to hear my heart on this as your pastor. So with that said, I want to invite you to turn with me or swipe with me. If you've got a smart device, a Bible, turn swipe um, to the New Testament to Paul's second letter to the Corinthians, uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 9. We'll land there in just a minute. Um, Today, we're in part three of a series called The Best Investment, where we're considering together how putting Jesus first in the areas of our time, our talent, our treasure, and our testimony is the best investment that you and I could ever make. And the premise behind this series is that our default mode is typically to operate from what is known as a scarcity mindset. And WebMD actually defines a scarcity mindset as being so obsessed with a lack of something that you can't seem to focus on anything else, no matter how hard you try. And so in part one of this series, we talked about our time. And the scarcity mindset that accompanies our time is uh, the thought that we don't have enough. And we talked about the truth in that we always have time for the things that we put first. And then last week in part two, uh, we talked about our talent and the scarcity mindset that accompanies talent is that I'm not good enough. And we discovered through the parable of the talents that what we aren't using, we will end up losing. Today, I want to spend the next few minutes talking about our treasure, our treasure, specifically our money. And the scarcity mindset that comes along with this is one that is all too common. You can guess what it is already. I don't make enough, right? Anybody ever felt like that? I just don't make, if you don't have your hand up, you're lying. You are a liar right here, lying to your pastor. And and so so this, this scarcity mindset of I don't make enough, particularly in the area of our finances, there, there's there's a danger here with proclaiming that that mindset and operating from that scarcity mindset. It's because that places the focus on me and what I have in my hand rather than putting the focus on God and what he can do when I put my resources into his hand. 
okay? So we need to establish that up front from the beginning. Now, I believe in my, uh, in my heart of hearts that in general, people, people want to be generous in the area of their finances. But despite that desire that, that most people have to be a generous person, it typically doesn't play out that way. Now, don't get me wrong, like we may throw a dollar or two in the bucket or in an envelope um, in, in, in the offering at church, or we may round up, you know, on a whim at McDonald's or whatever, you know, to, um, you know, round up to the nearest dollar, whatever we, we do that. But, but this lacks intentionality. And, and we often think things like this, I'll give to the Lord after the bills are paid and the groceries are bought and the car is filled up with gas. And I understand that sentiment, but, but this lacks planning. And so here's the problem with that. The problem is, is that giving of our finances is an act of worship, not an afterthought. So it should be intentional. It should be something that is, that is planned ahead. In the same way that we show up to church on Sunday prepared to sing, prepared to serve, prepared to fellowship with other believers, prepared to pray and to hear the word of God proclaimed, we should also show up prepared to give of our finances as an act of worship. And, and this thought, this idea, it points us in the direction of what is known biblically as first fruits first fruits. Okay. So we're going to start with Exodus 23, 19. It says this, it says, as you harvest your crops, bring the very best of the first harvest to the house of the Lord, your God. So bring the very best, the choice, the, the top tier of the first harvest. It's not the last harvest. It's not the one in the middle. It's the best of the first. This is the, the concept of first fruits. It continues in uh, another place, Proverbs 3, verses 9 and 10. It says, honor the Lord with your wealth and with the best part of everything you produce. Then he will fill your barns with grain and your vats will overflow with good wine. And so we're going to ask a lot of questions today because I know that you have a lot of questions. I have a lot of questions in this area of generosity with our finances as well. The first question we're going to ask is simply this. Do you want to give God your best or do you want to give him the rest? See, when it, when it comes to my finances, a question is how, how can I give God my best? What does it look like? A lot of people want to know. I want to be generous, but biblically, what does this look like? And it's, it's, it's through the, the way we give God our best when it comes to our finances is through the discipline of tithing. And tithe, that's a word that we only use really within the church. It's something that you don't hear out, you know, typically in the marketplace. Excuse me. Am I on? Can you hear me? All right, because this is important. I want to be sure you hear it. <laughs> tithe means tenth. And it specifically means first tenth. Okay, it's, it's, not the, it's not the last 10%, it's the first 10%. And there's that old adage that you've probably heard, first things first. All right, good, you, y'all are tracking with me. That simply means that what is most important should receive the highest priority, right? 
But then when we get into this and, 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 and the, the preacher starts talking about money and everybody starts to get uncomfortable, we, we, we want to immediately get on the defensive. And there's a lot of, uh, a lot of things that we can say uh, about tithing. We look for the loophole, why we shouldn't have to live this way, the reasons we, we shouldn't do this. And so there's, there's two primary arguments that I hear all the time and that I've even said myself in the past about tithing. Two arguments against tithing. The first one is that tithing is an Old Testament concept and we're under the new covenant. All right? It's an Old Testament concept. We're under the new covenant. Cool. My Bible tells me in, in Matthew five seventeen that Jesus did not come to abolish the law, but he came to fulfill it. Okay? Uh, Matthew 23, 23, check this out. This is gonna blow your mind. You didn't know it was there. What sorrow awaits you teachers, this is the words of Jesus. What sorrow awaits you teachers of religious law and you Pharisees, hypocrites, for you're careful to tithe even the tiniest income from your herb gardens, but you ignore the more important aspects of the law, justice, mercy, and faith. Jesus said this, you should tithe, yes, but do not neglect the more important things. He's not saying that, that the, the focus should be on these other aspects of the law. He's saying it's, it's, it's not one or the other. It's all of it together. In another place in the New Testament, Mark 12, Jesus says this. Well, then, Jesus said, give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar and give to God what belongs to God. This would lead us to believe that there's something that we have that actually belongs to God that we're supposed to be giving or returning to him. Okay, the second argument I hear when it comes to why we shouldn't tithe or, or reasons not to do it is an all too common one, I can't afford to tithe. I would argue the opposite. You can't afford not to tithe. See, this mindset makes the assumption that your resources belong to you and that they're yours to do with as you please. But this isn't the case. And I hear stuff like this a lot. Well, if I made what they made, then I'd be able to give what they give or give like they give. But, but here's the beauty of it. Tithing isn't about a specific dollar amount. It's about a percentage. The tithe is the first 10%. And 10% is 10% whether you make $10, $10,000, or $10 million. It's all relative. The end result may be different amounts, but they are equal in sacrifice. And so that's what the Lord is calling us to. And remember, when we start to compare, just like I talked about last week, there's no win in comparison. And we, when we start to compare, that's where we get ourselves into trouble. And a lot of people think stuff like this. They think, well, if I had more money, then I would be more generous. Here's the truth. More money doesn't make you more generous. More money makes you more of what you already are in the first place. And so if you're not able or willing to be generous with the little bit that you have, you're certainly not going to be generous if you get a whole lot, okay? I love what Robert Morris says. He is, in my opinion, one of the foremost authorities in the kingdom of God when it comes to financial generosity. And he says this, he says, tithing isn't really giving, it's returning. For example, let's say that you borrow your neighbor's lawnmower, okay? Because you need to mow your grass. So once you're done mowing your lawn, you don't go over to your neighbor and say, hey, here's a gift. I want to give you my lawnmower. 
No, you go to your neighbor and you, you return their lawnmower to them because it was on loan to you. So you can't give somebody something that belonged to them in the first place. You can only return it. And in the same way, we don't give our tithes to God. We simply return it to him because he is the one who entrusted us with us or entrusted it to us in the first place. And so we return our tithes to him because it belonged to him in the first place. And so this, this whole attitude that's perpetuated of, of all of these things and, and that, that we think I can't afford to tithe, it also makes the assumption that God isn't able to take care of us and to provide for our needs. Another thing Robert Moore said in his, his book, The Blessed Life, he said, it always requires faith to give the first. That's why so few Christians experience the blessings of tithing because it means giving to God before you see if you're going to have enough. By tithing, it's as if we're saying to God, I recognize you first. I'm putting you first in my life and I trust you to take care of the rest of the things in my life. And so the next question that we ask is, well, then why should I tithe? If there's, if there's all of this evidence pointing to, you know, this, this thing that, that we ought to be doing, like really what's, what's the why behind the what? And it's simply this. Because giving is at the center of the nature and character of God. If you've been a Christian for any amount of time, no doubt you've heard this verse. Even if you're not a Christ follower here this morning, chances are you've heard this verse. You've probably seen it on um, a billboard somewhere or on a poster at a football game. It's arguably the most widely known verse in all of Scripture. John 3.16, the New Living Test, uh, Translation says it this way. For this is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. At the very center of the message of the gospel is giving. Right there. It's, it's right there in, in plain English, black and white, or in this case, yellow. He gave his one and only son. And so we're givers then because God is a giver. And as a Christian, as a Christ follower, we're choosing to pattern our life after his example. Jesus Christ is God's firstborn. And by sending Jesus to die on the cross, God gave the best of his first fruits to us. Here's the beauty of that. God didn't wait to send his son until once we decided to trust and honor him with our lives. Now, the, the Bible says in Romans 5, 8, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Paul continues that thought in, in, in Romans uh, chapter 8. He says this, since he did not spare even his own son, but gave him up for us all, won't he also give us everything else? And so if that's the case, and we believe in the truth of Scripture, if, if that's the case, why wouldn't we choose to tithe then? See, here's the deal. Tithing is not about God needing our money, because he doesn't. Tithing is all about God desiring first place in our life. 
And when God is in first place in our life, the end result every single time is always blessing. Here's what Billy Graham said. Some of you may know him. We found in our own home that God's blessing upon the nine-tenths when we tithe helps it to go farther than the ten-tenths without his blessing. And so my next question this morning is, would you rather operate on 90% that's blessed by the hand of God or 100% that isn't? Little side note for those of you maybe wondering, another question that I get a lot of times is, should I tithe on my, my net or my gross? And I always respond, which number do you want God to bless? Take that for what it's worth. So perhaps you're thinking here this morning, oh, okay, Pastor Blake, you've got my attention. I'm willing to listen. I'm willing to lean in a little bit. What else do I need to know if I'm gonna begin living a lifestyle of generosity in the area of my finances? I'm so glad that you asked. So to answer that, we're gonna to turn together to what the Apostle Paul said in 2 Corinthians 9. We're gonna read three verses together, six, seven, and eight. 2 Corinthians 9, 6 through 8. He says, remember this, a farmer who plants only a few seeds will get a small crop, but the one who plants generously will get a generous crop. You must decide in your heart how much to give, and don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure, for God loves a person who gives cheerfully. And God will generously provide all you need. And then you will always have everything you need and plenty left over to share with others. The remainder of this message, I want to talk to you about three principles of financial generosity that we can mine out of these three verses. Three principles of financial generosity. If you're taking notes, I encourage you to write these down. We're going to look at this verse at a time. Verse 6, verse 7, verse 8. The first principle is the principle of increase. The principle of increase. Verse six says, remember this. You can put it on the screen. Remember this. A farmer who plants only a few seeds will get a small crop. But the one who plants generously will get a generous crop. Ultimately, what Paul is saying here is that we reap in proportion to what we sow. We reap in proportion to what we sow. He talks about this also in Galatians 6, verse 7, where he says, don't be misled. You cannot mock the justice of God. You will always harvest what you plant. See, last week I told you that if you're unhappy with what you're harvesting, that maybe you should plant different seeds. And in the same way, if you're unsatisfied with the size of the harvest, maybe you need to plant more seeds. Like nobody would ever plant a single apple seed and expect to harvest an orchard. It just doesn't happen that way. That's lunacy. We would call that farmer a moron. If he was like, I don't know what happened, y'all. I came over to the corner of my property. I put this one seed in the ground and all I got was this one measly little sapling. I've got all this acreage over here and I can't for the life of me figure out why nothing is growing on it. We'd go, dude, you're an idiot. Plant some more seeds. But how many of us do that all the time in the area of our finances? 
giving just a little bit, if anything at all. And we're wondering, we're over scratching our head, trying to figure out why things are the way that they are. Hear Jesus' words in, in Luke 6, verse 38. He says, give and you will receive. Your gift will return to you in full. Press down, shaken together to make room for more, running over and poured into your lap. The amount you give will determine the amount that you get back. I love this quote by Jim Rohn. He says this. He says, only by giving are you able to receive more than you already have. I love that. So first, we see the principle of increase. The second principle of financial generosity, Paul talks about here is the principle of intent. Verse 7. He says, you must each decide in your heart how much to give. And don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure. For God loves a person who gives. God loves a person who gives cheerfully. See, giving and generosity is not a resources issue. It's a heart issue. That's what Paul's saying. He says, you got to decide in your heart how much you're going to give. It's, it's, not a, it's not a money thing. It's not a resources thing. It's a, it's a heart thing. Matthew 6, 21 says this, wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will also be. And so notice the order. Treasure comes first, desires of your heart follow. And so this leads me to believe that, that God doesn't have our heart unless he also has our wallet. Those two things are directly connected to one another. And, and it's the wallet that's going to lead the way. I, I explain it like this. I, I, I have a confession to make. I did not wake up this morning and look to see what Google stock is trading at. I didn't do that. You know why? Because I'm not invested in Google stock, so I couldn't care less. But you better believe if I had some of my hard-earned money tied up in Google stock that I would want to know where it's trading at right now. Because the truth is, is that we're interested wherever we are invested. There's a direct correlation with that. And so when we begin to invest financially in the things of God, there's a natural draw that takes place in our heart toward those things because we're interested where we are invested and so when we in, in invest in the things of God, our heart then is drawn to those things and we become closer to God because of the investment that we have made. And notice what else Paul says in this verse about our attitude toward giving. He says, don't do it reluctantly or in response to pressure. See, I, I'm not talking about this subject today because I want something from you. I'm talking about it today because I want something for you. And let me be clear, I'm not asking you for money this morning. And, and in fact, as long as I'm the pastor here, you've heard me say this in the past, and as long as I'm the pastor, it is, it is my wholehearted intention to never ask you for money. But what I will ask you to do is to ask God whether or not you should give and how much you should give, and then be obedient to whatever he tells you. Because one of our core values here is that generosity is our identity. And so ultimately what that means is that we don't give because we have to, because we're under pressure to give. No, we give because we get to, 
because we, we get to bless, be a blessing to others and we get to be a part of building the kingdom out of the overflow of the blessings that God has already entrusted to us. And when we choose to give with pure motives and a cheerful attitude, the end result is that it's gonna draw us closer to God every single time. Around here, it, it's my desire, it's my goal. I would love nothing more than for us to create a culture of generosity. A friend of mine came to visit our church recently. And um, after church, she was kind of talking to me about some of the things that she had witnessed, things that she had observed, things that she'd heard other people talk about. We were celebrating together the goodness, the faithfulness of God, the things that he's doing in and through this church and its people. And one of her takeaways was, and, and this, this like hit me like a ton of bricks, and this was with no prompting or whatever. She told me, she said, you have a generous church. And there wasn't a period, there was an exclamation point. We were texting back and forth. There's an exclamation point. You have a generous church, exclamation point. And you know what? She's right. We do have a generous church. There is a culture of generosity that is being cultivated here. So far this year, we've had 51 new individual givers at Christ's Walk. Just this year alone. That's awesome. That's something to celebrate. 51 first-time givers. As I stand here right now, we are, we are under budget for this year, and we're also projected to bring in even more than we budgeted at the end of the year. So this isn't coming from a place of, oh gosh, we're in dire straits, man. If y'all don't give, we're not going to be able to turn the lights on. This is not any of that kind of stuff. Last week, we were able to send an offering to Next Level Church for hurricane relief, $7,700. Our church is in better financial shape today than it's been at any other time that I've been the pastor here. And that has very little to do with me, but a whole heck of a lot to do with you because you've been so faithful and so generous towards God. And, and that faithfulness and generosity is paying off because when we give to him, he gives back in return. When we're faithful to him, he blesses us. And as a result, other people that aren't even connected to this church are sitting up and they're taking notice. And they're able to come in here in one service and go, man, I, know, I, I don't know a whole lot about Christ Walk Church, but I know one thing. It's a generous place. There's some generous people. I had to grease the doorway to get my head out of it after she told me that. I was flying. I, I can think of very little things that somebody could tell me that would make me prouder of the congregation that the Lord has entrusted to me to pastor than to say that we're generous, that other people are taking notice. So we've got the, the principle of increase, the principle of intent, number three, the principle of immediacy, the principle of immediacy. Let's look at verse eight together. It says, and God will generously provide all you need. Then you will always have everything you need and plenty left over to share with others. That's the New Living Translation. Let's look at it in the, in the English Standard Version. It says, and God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. 
There's a, a Greek word that is repeated there over and over and over. It's the Greek word pas, which speaks to fullness, wholeness, being complete. It literally means all. Like when Paul says all, it means all, lacking in nothing. There's another Greek word there too. It's repeated a couple times. It's the Greek word day, which means and. And when I look at this verse, and I see that, that in, in this principle that, that Paul is, is, is communicating to us here today, what, what I'm reminded of in this word and is that the God we serve is a God of addition and multiplication. Simply put, when we honor him by giving, he honors us by providing. When we give generously, not only will we have what we need, but we'll be able to help supply others with what they need as well. Here's what Proverbs 11, 24, and 25 says. It says, give freely and become more wealthy. Be stingy and lose everything. The generous will prosper. Those who refresh others will themselves be refreshed. Anne Frank puts it this way. She says, no one has ever become poor by giving. No one has ever become poor by giving. Here's how the Lord puts it in the Old Testament. Malachi 3.10, or if you're in kids' church, Malachi 3.10. <laughs> he says, bring all the tithes. There's that word again, all. Bring all the tithes into the storehouse so there will be enough food in my temple. If you do, says the Lord of heaven's armies, I will open up the windows of heaven for you. I will pour out a blessing so great you won't have enough room to take it in. Try it. Put me to the test. See, God's already prepared the blessing for us. He's just waiting on our obedience. It's sitting up there in heaven. He, he's just waiting for us to, to take hold of it. And, and notice the contingency here in this verse. He says, if you'll do this. If you'll bring all the tithes into the storehouse, then I will open up the windows of heaven and pour out a blessing so great you don't even have enough room for it. I got lots of room. I can like, if God's pouring out blessings, I can find room. I'll like clear some stuff out so that there will be more room. And he's saying, you ain't even got enough room for all of this. What I wanna do in your life. And what we see here is that our obedience, it activates the blessing. And this is the only place in scripture where God challenges his people to test him. In other words, God's saying to us, he's saying, go ahead, try and prove me wrong. See if I won't keep my word. Pastor Randy Alcorn says this. He says, God is the greatest giver in the universe and he won't let you outgive him. Go ahead and try. See what happens. Here's the deal, y'all. God's blessings are available to every single one of us right now. We don't have to wait. It's simply a matter of our willingness to sow the seed. Because as long as the seed remains in our hand, that's all that we'll ever have. We'll have something, but that's it. 
But once we release the seed, it unlocks the seed's potential to grow. And that seed will in turn not only bear fruit for today's provision so that we can eat our fill today, but it will bear more seeds for us to continue to release that will produce fruit for tomorrow's provision as well. When we open our hands to let go of the seed, it positions us to once again receive from the Lord. But as long as we're holding onto that seed, as long as our fists are closed around it and we're refusing to let it go, we're never going to be able to receive more than what we already have. But as we release, we receive. And then we release and we receive and we release and we receive. And then a pattern of generosity is kickstarted in our life. And it leads to a legacy for future generations because you and I are able to plant seeds that will harvest trees and bear fruit that you and I won't be around to eat. But the next generations that are following after us, our children, our grandchildren, our great-grandchildren, our great-great-grandchildren, they will be able to take hold of the blessings of, all because we chose to be generous people. So maybe you're here this morning and you're like, ah, I don't know, Pastor Blake, I'm still on the fence. I'm undecided. This is really difficult. I get it. It is really difficult. being generous with our finances and, and, and trusting the Lord with our money, it's, it's arguably, a, a, it's the hardest thing to do as a Christian, in my opinion. But our church and our leadership believe in these principles so much that we wanna come alongside you and, and help you to position yourself to receive the blessings of God in your life as a result of financial generosity. And so all, all you have to do is simply make a commitment to consistently tithe over the period of 90 days. It's called the 90-day tithe challenge. At the end of that 90 days, if you haven't experienced the blessings and provision of God in your life, we'll give you a full refund on your investment. We'll just write you a check. So you got nothing to lose. If you've never tithed before, you're on the fence and you don't know. I, I just don't know if we can do it. I don't know how it's gonna work. I, I'm, I'm not sure, but you're willing to give it a try. I'd encourage you, go to our website, thechristwalkchurch.com, either forward slash give or just click on the give tab at the top of the page there. You'll see a button that will lead you to the details, of the 90 day tithe challenge and you can register there. We'd love to come alongside of you partner with you in this endeavor because we want more than anything else to see these kinds of blessings be poured into your life. Here's what I can tell you. I've tried it both ways. Even as, as part of a, 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 a church staff, I wasn't the pastor, but I was on staff. And I'm embarrassed, I'm ashamed to say that there was a time when I wasn't living my life this way. Even as a pastor on staff. But I can say that without question, practicing financial generosity 
through the discipline of tithing is hands down the best way to live. I think of one of the greatest regrets in my life is all of the blessings that I missed out on because I was stingy with my money. God has proven time and time and time and time again in my life that you just can't outgive him. And perhaps the, the best way that I know to sum it up is just like this. To the feudal human mind, God's math just doesn't make any sense. I can't explain it. I've seen things happen. I don't know how. I just don't know how. But God, that's the only way. It, the spreadsheet broke. But the bill was paid for. The need was met. The refrigerator and the cupboard, were, they were full. We had clothes on our back. We had shoes on our feet, a roof over our head. There was gas in the car. At every turn, I can't explain it. I'm not rolling around in piles of money, but my needs are taken care of. I have all of my needs. I have a lot of my wants, and I've got more than I've ever had to be able to bless other people with, and it is a joy to be able to do that. And I know what you're thinking. You're the pastor. That's what you're supposed to say. And you're right. I am the pastor. And it is what I'm supposed to say. But it's also the truth. Because it's what I've experienced in my own life. But you don't just have to take my word for it. Go ahead and ask around. Find somebody. Find a, find a couple who's living this way. Not just for a few weeks. Find somebody who's been doing this for like, like decades. They're around here. Ask them if they regret it. Ask them if they could go back and have all that money that they gave. Would they, would they go back and, and do it all over again? And, and if, if you can't find anyone who fits that bill, just let me know. I'll give you some phone numbers. I'll point you in the direction of people. I bet you already know what their answer will be. It's because they know what deep down you already know. That God's way is the best way. And no doubt their testimony that they would share with you will be the same that I would share. And it's the same as the Apostle Paul's from Philippians 4.19. It can be your testimony too. He says this, and this same God who takes care of me will supply all your needs from his glorious riches. We have been given to us, which have been given to us in Christ Jesus. See, here's the deal. This is, some of you know my, my life's philosophy. It, it's it's going to be, it's going to be inscribed on my tombstone when I'm dead and gone. I live by a simple phrase. Pay your tithes and live right. That's how I live. Y'all have heard me say it. One of the greatest joys of being your pastor is when I hear you say it. It's beautiful. We get a parking place up close, right in the front next to Walmart. 
pay your tithes and live right. Found 20 bucks on the floor. Pay your tithes and live right. The company calls and said, Mr. Snap, we made a mistake. We actually charged you too much. So we're going to send you a refund in the mail. Pay your tithes and live right. If we do that, the world would just be a different place. If we'd all just live by that simple phrase, pay your tithes and live right. And if that's the legacy that I'm leaving behind, then so be it. I can die a happy man. Here's what I think all this means. The big idea is simply this. As long as we give some of what we have, we'll always have some to give. As long as we give some of what we have, we'll always have some to give. So as I bring this to a close, I want to ask one more question. If you're not being generous with your finances by practicing the discipline of tithing? How's that working for you? Chances are, if you're honest, you're super stressed out about money. You're worried about paying the bills and making the ends meet. If you're married, I can almost guarantee that it's a point of contention in your relationship with your spouse. And rather than peace in this area, you feel anxiety and fear. So if your way isn't working, why not try it God's way? What do you have to lose? Because I'm convinced what the scripture has to say. As long as we give some of what we have, we'll always have some to give. God's challenge for us today is to try him to put him to the test. His desire is to be first in our life, to have first place. So I say, let's live with the audacity to give it to him. And let's become generous people in all areas of our life, especially our finances. The first step toward giving God's first, first place in our life is to entering into a covenant relationship with him through his son, Jesus Christ. If you're here in this room today, you're watching with us online this morning and you've never done that, but you'd like to make that step this morning. I wanna invite you to pray this simple prayer with me. Can we pray together? Heavenly Father, I admit that I'm a sinner and that I'm lost without you. I believe that Jesus died in my place, making a way for us to have a relationship Today, I choose to follow Jesus and his way for the rest of my life. Amen. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Christ Walk Church podcast. Don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss out on future episodes. To find out more information about Christ Walk Church, including our service times, how to connect with us on social media, and the ministry opportunities we have for you and your family, simply visit our website at thechristwalk.com. Thanks again for listening, and don't forget, because of Jesus, the best is yet to come.